Oliver. Hi, Emma. Hello, this is very exciting. <laughs> this feels kind of weird because you're technically a guest, but also not a guest. That's true, um, yeah. So part of me wants to say welcome to History of Sexy, the podcast where we answer the questions so you, you don't want to Google yourself. But on the other hand, you've been here for almost every episode. <laughs> it's true, it's <laughs> so, true. You've been here since the beginning. Mm-hmm. So for people who don't know, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, no. No? You can introduce me now. I'm curious <laughs> as to what you'd say. <laughs> okay. Okay. So this is Oliver Keeley. Oliver is our producer and editor and has been since the first episode of History is Sexy and makes everything sound nice and puts nice sound effects on because he is a <laughs> professionally trained person with audio and neither Janina or I are at all. Oliver currently lives in Vienna with his lovely wife and his lovely son. So the episodes in the middle that sound rubbish are the ones where Oliver was on paternity leave, <laughs> <laughs> looking after his lovely son. But today we are having Oliver on because we have a bit of a nepotism moment where we said we were going to talk about druids, but then the person that I want to talk about druids with was busy. So I decided that I would pull a question from my husband because why not do nepotism? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And Connor had some questions about why Austrians are so obsessed with Cece, otherwise known as Empress Elizabeth. And I only know about this from you because you are living in Vienna and have a lovely Austrian wife. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, who better to tell us about (laughs) Empress Elizabeth, Cece, what's the deal with her? Why do Austrians love her so much? Why do they have all these films about her? And yeah, what's the deal with that, Oliver? (laughs) Yes. Okay. uh... (laughs) So you're going to be the Austria explainer the, the basically Austrian correspondent yeah yeah but hey, that's there we go that'll be your official title now yeah <laughs> so you're going to be producer editor and austrian correspondent explainer of austrian traditions to english women living in northern ireland <laughs> well okay to start with let's let's start with the beginning of the habsburg yeah. dynasty so the habsburgs come from unsurprisingly, a place in Switzerland called Habsburg. There you uh, go. <laughs> which is kind of a nondescript little castle in Switzerland. They weren't that big a deal to start with, but over a span of centuries, they managed to sort of maneuver their way into becoming Europe's most powerful imperial family. Yes. Yeah, so this is Holy Roman Empire That's right, times. Yeah. They're the ones that made it holy. Are they? Ah, was, there you go. I believe so. I think it was just a Roman Empire, so <laughs> a highly unconvincing Roman Empire. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and through this sort of manoeuvring, they became not only the Holy Roman Emperor family sort of stuff, but also the Archdukes of Austria, which is okay. the... The, the name Austria comes from the word uh, Österreich, which is the official title of Austria, uh, which yep. means the Eastern realm. So it's kind of the yep. Eastern part of the Holy Roman Empire. Oh, okay. And the capital, obviously where I live is Vienna, has been all the way back to, well, Marcus Aurelius died here. Did you know that? Yeah, in, I did not know that. In Vindobona, which is what Vienna oh. uh, grew out of. So Vienna has been around since... It's a good Roman city, is that yeah, what you're telling me? It is. Well, now I'm interested. And if, you, <laughs> if, you, if you happen to visit Vienna, if you go down to the Michaela Platz, there is a big trench in the middle of this um, square where they've dug out 
all the way down and you can see all you can just stand there and look all the way down past the 18th century all the ruins, layers all the layers yeah and you can see all the way down to roman vindobina right down at the bottom so that's amazing it's pretty cool it also makes me when i think about the like archaeology and that kind of thing in mm-hmm. terms of layers and us just building on top of yeah. all of these old things and when you go down you're like oh yeah it was just underneath like <laughs> how much of like what we think of the earth's crust is just layers of yeah. human habitation <laughs> like is the earth getting bigger i don't know these are the things i think about yeah. at night when i'm it, like how are we just building on top of things that's ludicrous <laughs> it must be like 20 feet down it's pretty far yeah. down and it's like when they dig ditches and you're like, yeah. that is really, like, it's deep and you found the top of a foundation. Yeah, <laughs> and there are some U-Bahn stations, in, especially in the city centre, where you can see Roman walls that have been preserved in the in the walls of the U-Bahn station, which is pretty cool. That is cool. Uh, so, yeah, Roman Vienna. Yeah. Anyway, so, so... it's a good old city. Is it is a very, saying. very old city. And so if we go through the, the dissolution of the Holy Roman Empire... Everything kind of splits up. Austria is part of, is its own thing. The Austrian Empire is kind of like the biggest rump state of the Holy Roman Empire. Yeah. And the Austrian Empire also controls Hungary. Hungary now is a pretty small country, but Hungary then was humongous country. Okay. Well, parts of Hungary then are now in Poland, Ukraine. Most of Romania was Hungary. So it's huge stuff. Like Dracula, for example, was was a Hungarian. <laughs> yeah. He was not a Romanian. Not a Romanian. He was a Hungarian. Anyway, so yeah. So the Austrian Empire is chunky at the time. It's chunky, but it's it's unique in the sense of European empires in that it never had any overseas colonies. Well, good for them. Uh, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> it, it, it expanded sideways, but it ne- they never had, for example, any colonies in Africa, or America, whatever. Did they have naval power? They had naval power, but it was very limited to just the Mediterranean because okay, yeah, they only really had the Adriatic fleet, as it was called. Yeah. So there's that's from Trieste, which used to be part of Austria, the city of that, Trieste. That used to, but was briefly one of the capitals of the Roman Empire. <laughs> so. Then we progress along into the Enlightenment and we have someone like Maria Theresia, who is the only Austrian empress who ruled in her own right. And if you've heard of the War of Austrian Succession. I have not. Between various German states and Spain, because Habsburgs controlled Spain as well. Oh, yeah, because the Spanish were involved in everything for a while there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of funny in a post 20th century way because they just got absolutely hobbled by um, the 20th century, basically. But before that, they were they were everywhere doing everything. Yeah, and this, like this... being enormously powerful and being involved in absolutely everybody's business, yeah. and everyone was terrified of them. <laughs> and now you're like Spain. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, so the Habsburg family branches off. There's the Habsburg sort of Bourbon family who are the yes. ones who control Spain and the Netherlands or Flanders not necessarily the Netherlands and <laughs> don't get us emails yeah and the Habsburg Lothringen family who are the ones who control Austria the Habsburgs in Spain die off because of inbreeding yes oh yes the Habsburg jaw situation That's and the right. so they have uh, the King Charles the fifth maybe of Spain yeah he is so inbred that he can barely 
like set up. So yeah, and, he's and the, he has just so many genetic disorders yeah, that because he, he has can absolutely cannot rule. I think he has four great grandparents or something like that. <laughs> so <laughs> that's not enough. How many do normal people have? Sixteen. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's not it's not great. It's not great. That's just one gene swirling around in there. Mm-hmm. The Habsburgs in Austria are also suffering from this problem, but not not entirely. So you have Maria Theresia, who, like I said, she's kind of an enlightened despot, she would be called. So okay, yeah. she's big into education, making children go to school, like compulsory school, things like that. But she also is a very rabid anti-Semite. So Sure. There's always something. There's always something. And it's almost always anti-Semitism. <laughs> it is. And one of her daughters was went on to be quite famous because she was Marie Antoinette. Oh, yes. That's where I know the name. Yes. So, yes, you have Marie Antoinette. She was Austrian. And here's the thing. Marie Antoinette brought Austrian pastry making to the court of France. And that's why you think croissants are French. They're actually Viennese. Oh, well, there you go. And that type of pastry making is called viennoiserie. So ah, there you go. So actually all of those beautiful French pastries are technically Austrian pastries. Technically, yes. And also the ones that Americans call Danish, they are also Austrian pastries. Of course they are. Americans, God bless them. They try their best. Exactly. Like English muffins are not a thing that's ever been eaten or touched England. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> but yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the, well, the Austrian Empire expands, but only sort of laterally. It takes in places like Croatia, parts of like Silesia and stuff in Poland, Bohemia, Moravia, all that is folded into the Austrian Empire. Yep. And then, so passing along a little bit further, we have, this is the uh, the 19th century, the early mid 19th century. So Napoleonic, post-Napoleonic. Yep. You have Emperor Ferdinand I, who unfortunately has the classic Habsburg issue with the inbred. <laughs> Not enough grandparents. St- yeah, exactly. So he's <laughs> benign, but he's also kind of a, a bit slow, a bit stupid. He has extremely serious epilepsy. Uh-huh. So he was unable to consummate his marriage. Oh, dear. He tried and had five seizures. Oh, Lord. Oh, that poor man. So... That is very serious that epilepsy, is ex- Jesus. Extremely serious. So in 1848, the Hungarians were pretty pissed off with their role in as sort of second class citizens of the Austrian Empire. And they had uh-huh. a revolution. Okay. And as a result of the revolution, things go a bit uh, and the Russians <laughs> step in and try to save the Austrians from this catastrophe. And okay. as part of the settlement, Ferdinand I is forced to abdicate, which he was probably yep. quite happy with, to be honest. I mean, I don't know that you want to be under that amount of stress of ruling an empire if you have yeah. like very serious epilepsy. Like you should probably be living a, a relatively stress free life. Yeah, exactly. And so not he- having people come up to you saying, Oh, the Hungarians are revolting and <laughs> you need to have an heir and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So the throne, because he didn't have an heir, the throne passed to his brother. But his brother was also kind of seen as a bit ineffectual, a bit of a wimp, a bit of under the thumb of his wife. Okay. So he is convinced to renounce his succession in favor of his <laughs> 18-year-old son, who is okay. Kaiser Franz Josef, who is the the, okay. the famous emperor, the one with the big sideburns. That's, that's him. 
<laughs> I'm going to Google him to see what he looks like. Hang on. You will recognize those sideburns, I'm telling you. And he, yeah, had, yeah. he had those sideburns his whole life. Franz Josef the first of Austria. Yeah, oh, yeah, that guy. That guy. I mean, he's, he's got some facial hair and he knows how to rock it. He does. So the big story, the big story of the Habsburgs in the 19th century is it's kind of the one that sets the ball rolling on the 20th century, so to speak, because a lot of what happened in the early 20th century is kind of because of Austria. And that is kind of because Yes, of, like everything that starts the First World War yeah. is because of what's going on with Austria, yes. And the Second World War is a result of that. And blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. so... So basically everything that we know of that shapes the world today is all going to come back down to this guy. This guy and his wife. And his lovely wife, yes. Exactly. All right. So 18, 1830, Franz Josef is born. Easy enough. His mother is Sophie of Bavaria. His, his father is Archduke Franz Karl of Austria. And then skip ahead like seven or eight years, his wife is born, <laughs> Elizabeth or Sissy, as everybody here knows her. They know you say, <laughs> oh, I really like Elizabeth. And they'll be like, huh? Who's Elizabeth? And they're like, oh, Sissy. And I'm like, oh, Sissy. Yeah, Sissy. Okay. Yeah. And she was a member of the princely house of Wittelsbach, who were in Bavaria. So she's not actually Austrian, but at this point, the distinction is very blurred between whether are you Austrian, are you German, are Austrians Germans? Yeah. We're not quite sure. And it, it, Bavaria is its own thing because yeah, exactly. you still get like Werner Herzog. It's like, I am Bavarian. Exactly. I Do not call me German, call me Bavarian. There's a famous little saying here is that Bavarians are half Austrian and half human. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's a lot going on in that. <laughs> yeah. So 1848, the Hungarian Revolution is resolved. The crown passes to Franz Josef. And as a result, he immediately, because he's only a child, so he's kind of being told what to do by his mother, we think. So he's 18. Yeah. Okay, and yeah. His mother... And his mother is the one who has persuaded his father to step down and give... Correct. And she is often... Okay. She, at this period, she's often described as the only man at court. So... <laughs> Thanks. Say, say, take from that what you will. <laughs> Franz Josef immediately installs a military dictatorship in sure. the empire's Hungarian lands to forestall any So he uprisings. did not take the revolt well. They did not. If the Russians hadn't stepped in, they probably, Hungarian revolt would probably have succeeded. So okay, the Russians yeah. rescued them. And the Austrians will repay them in a way that maybe the Russians didn't want, but we'll get to that <laughs> in a bit. So the revolt is put down, military dictatorship installed, so military martial law in Hungary. And Hungarians are officially second-class citizens. They weren't before, but they are now. Okay. But when we say Hungarians, what we mean is everyone in the empire who is not from either Austria, Bohemia, or Moravia. So not Czech, not Austrian, German. Everyone else is Hungarian. Okay, so there's just literally Austrian and Hungarian, and that's it. That's it. And only Austrians count. Exactly. And Sure, humans are great, aren't they? <laughs> Isn't it fantastic? They're always trying to find a way to... <laughs> To separate out and be like, yeah, no, but we're the best ones. Yeah. Uh, the Czechs are okay too, right? They're, they're pff, whatever, they're fine. So They're fine, okay. Archduchess Sophie, who is Trans-Josef's mother, mm -hmm. she is also from the house of Wittelsbach. 
and she wants to really lock in that connection between her house and the Habsburgs. So what she does is in, she sort of finagles her way with her sister. They sort of come up with a scheme that they will marry uh, her sister Ludovica's eldest daughter, Helena, to Franz Josef. Okay. Helena has been sort of trained for this from childhood. She's like 17, 18, so she's in the right age for this the sort right of thing. Age. Yep. She learns French, she learns manners, she learns how to do all the kind of pious bullshit that an empress should do. Mm-hmm. Yep. Be beautiful, be quiet. Yep, be, be yep. a good hostess, be a good... Yep. Exactly. So, unfortunately, when Helena goes to meet Franz Josef in the town of Bad Ischl in Upper Austria... She goes with her mother and her little sister. Okay. And Hang on. So if her little sister is Elizabeth is seven years younger than Franz Josef. Sissy is only uh, two years younger than Helena. Okay, that's all right. Fra- then. Fra- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, is she twelve? Yeah. <laughs> oh, she's fifteen. Fifteen. It's fine. <laughs> okay, yeah. that's no. I mean, it's not amazing, but it could be worse. Yeah. <laughs> so at this meeting. It's a big deal. They have a big sort of ball, a celebration, because they're going to celebrate the imperial betrothal, yeah, obviously. It's a big, even big formal situation. No one's meeting in coffee shops. Exactly. But yeah. And Franz Josef meets Helena and he's like, wow, her little sister is really hot. <laughs> um, okay. And then, and then he, t- he tells his mother, I am going to marry that one. And his mother's yep. like, you fucking what, mate? No. <laughs> But he's like, I'm the emperor. I am going to marry that one. Okay, so this is when he is suddenly like, you know what? I let you talk me into being emperor. I've let you deal with everything. But when it comes to the teenager that I marry, I choose this teenager. (laughs) So she's 15. He's 22 at the time. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, again, the English are doing much worse. That's true. They're all like, I am 37 and my bride is nine. Yeah. So, <laughs> but this is this is almost a mini scandal because this is a love match, right? This was not arranged Disgusting. by the parents. He he yeah. saw this 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 lady and was like, "Oh, I am in love with this woman so much. I'm going to marry her." She doesn't have much of a choice in the matter. Yeah, is she into it? <sighs> you see, the whole thread of this relationship is he's a lot more into her than she is into him. Okay, <laughs> so she's just like, okay. <laughs> she's like. Yeah, yeah, okay. This is great. Yeah. He is doing a military dictatorship. He probably could. Yeah. I suppose he can't cut her head off, but he could probably make her life very <laughs> no, she's miserable. She's a foreigner. Remember, she's a foreigner. Oh, so he can. But she's his cousin, and it would be mm. awkward if she said no. And he's the emperor. He's a catch, right? So. Mm. I mean, yeah. You do get to be empress. That's... It would be pretty great. Yeah. Well, we'll see. On the other hand, your sister's never going to speak to you again. So, <laughs> Well, as far as Helena goes, you could say she probably dodged a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. they get married in April of that year when she's just turned 16 and immediately move into the palace in Schönbrunn in Austria, in, in Austria, in Vienna, which is the sort of summer residence of the imperial family. Yeah. Currently, it has the world's oldest zoo in the grounds. Okay. Anyway, Lovely. so the problem is Sissy has not been trained for this. Helena has been trained for this and they didn't think, well, well, Sissy's probably going to just marry some count or whatever. So who gives a shit? Okay, right? yeah. So they're just like, you do whatever you like. We've got to do some 
practice curtsying over here for the next nine hours exactly. and she's so, running around in the woods okay this is that's basically exactly it she loves riding she loves like hunting and all this stuff this sort of stuff that is seen as quite wild and man almost manly in a in a way but not really so she loves like the outdoors and just doing whatever she wants she likes to write poetry she likes to read books and then she moves into the imperial court and everyone is like uh no i don't <laughs> no. i don't think so you have to do this you have to do this you have to do this you you're not gonna have time to go riding you have to oh yeah you've got curtsying to do yeah you've got to have your hair brushed for two hours and stuff like that so yeah yeah she does not like being at court basically immediately she's like oh god what have i done so moving on like a year yep so she's 17 <laughs> and she gives birth to her first daughter. Okay. And because her mother-in-law, she's got also kind of got Franz Josef under her thumb a bit. She's like, okay, I'm going to take this child. I'll I'll deal with it, and you can see it sometimes if you like. Uh, and also, I'm going to name her after me. Okay. Bye. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, so she's the mo yeah. mother-in-law from hell. Yeah. Like, the kind that you see Reddit posts about. They're like, my mother-in-law has built a house, a room in her house <laughs> for her grandchild, and she's calling it by a different name than the name he gave it, and also she won't give it back. Yeah, exactly. She refuses to allow Elizabeth to breastfeed or otherwise do anything for the child. The child is basically... She sees it when it's born and occasionally ar wow. around the house. <laughs> Wow. So she's just like, hello, child. I'm your mother. And the child is like, no, I've never heard of you. This child rearing practice will have consequences. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> All the other monarchs turned out so normal. How will this go? <laughs> so the next year, Sisi gives birth to a second daughter who is called Gisela. She is okay. she's whisked away again immediately. I'm concerned about the fact that she's having all these daughters. People don't like that. Here's the thing. Sissy yeah. finds a pamphlet on her desk, which is <gasps> assumed to have been left there by Sophie, with these words underlined. The natural destiny of a queen is to give an heir to the throne. If the queen is so fortunate as to provide the state with a crown prince, this should be the end of her ambition. She should by no Ooh. means meddle with the government of empire, the care of which is not a task for women. If the queen bears no sons, she is merely a foreigner in the state, and a very dangerous foreigner. For as she can never hope to be looked on kindly here, she must always expect to be sent back whence she came. So she will always seek to win the king by other than natural means. She will struggle for <laughs> position and power by intrigue and the sowing of discord to the mischief of the king, the nation, and the empire. Wow. So literally, we don't want you... Yeah, her mother-in-law's basically left her a note on the desk saying, look, if you don't get a son, you may as We're well, you may you as well just fuck off because we don't, <laughs> we need a son. Go. You have one purpose yeah. and you are not fulfilling it. Exactly. Oh, moving on a year. So Sissi, Franz Josef and their daughters go on a visit to Hungary, which they haven't been to yet. But as a sort of passionate rider, an outdoors woman, the Hungarians love riding their horses and she is like, I love this shit. So yep. She becomes like the champion of the Hungarian people. She learns Hungarian. She advocates for them whenever she can. She's like, I love these oh, people. That's nice. Yeah. Unfortunately, on this trip, both of the imperial children become ill with typhus and the elder child dies. Oh, 
Well, it's a good thing that she barely ever met her. <laughs> However, the loss of her daughter caused the sissy to fall into a deep depression that will recur throughout the rest of her life. And oh. as a result of this loss and the subsequent mental trouble, she also becomes disinterested in Gisla and basically neglects her. So doesn't oh, doesn't really. This is a second daughter. Yeah, doesn't bother to see her again. Oh. Yeah, and then the next year, Sissy gives birth to Crown Prince Rudolf. Hooray! Oh, thank God. Finally, she has her influence in court. She is important now, so she uses that influence to advocate on behalf of the Hungarians. It is wild how much having a son just completely changes. Yeah the fact that people will listen to you like because just by having a boy child she has gone from being pariah and people saying that she's a foreigner and she will never be part of the country to oh you're the mother of the future emperor so everything that you say is the most important thing i've ever heard is can i get you another <laughs> cup of tea yeah exactly exactly it is just crackers how much that like just completely changes her position and her influence and her power. Yeah. And so she loves the Hungarians. She advocates for the Hungarians, in particular, one count called Gula Andrashi. Mm-hmm. There may have been something else going on there <sighs> between those two. Scandal bell. But oof, who knows? Is it rumors? Is it malicious rumor? Is it, are they just friends? Who knows? <laughs> Obviously, Rudolf is whisked away at once and raised by his grandmother. So Elizabeth yep. just like, okay, she's not even like 25 at this point. And she's Shit. she's lost one child and estranged basically from two. And has had two stolen from her. <laughs> yeah. So moving on, like a few more years, her health begins to really suffer because she's become kind of obsessed with her own beauty. Okay. She's like been paraded as the most beautiful woman in Europe, blah, blah, blah. So, oh, and she can't lose it. She's, yeah, she starts to sort of like, oh, God, I have to hang on to this. Otherwise, what am I? So she starts doing intense workouts, you would call them now, fasting mm. a lot, weight loss cures. Oh, in, no. In air quotes, cures. And her mental illness is kind of growing unchecked because who knows, right? So Because nobody knows how to deal with this. Exactly. Yeah. So she develops a pretty nasty lung condition. Oh, no. And it, she is sent off to live in Madeira with okay. the hopes that, you know, it's warm, the air is drier, maybe it will help. Classic, go by the sea. Go and, go and yeah, go and look at the sea, whatever. So <laughs> she leaves her children and her husband in Vienna. She probably quite relieved by that. I mean, it sounds like she's having a bad time. Yeah. People keep stealing her children. She hasn't eaten. Yeah. She's... Doing nothing but jumping jacks, mm-hmm. whatever. I would be fascinated to know what a 19th century imperial exercise regime was. In in Elizabeth's case, it was, I think, a lot of hiking and, okay. and riding horses. She was, okay. in her youth, say like teens, 20s, 30s, she was kind of known as being Europe's most accomplished horsewoman. Nice. Uh, but I mean, there's... the Princess Anne of her time. Exactly. But I mean, there were probably millions of peasant horse riders who were there, but we, we never hear about them because <laughs> they don't have names, they don't exist. So they don't, yeah, no one's writing books about them. <laughs> they didn't give birth to emperors, unfortunately. It's the one, one thing that a woman can do at this time to be useful. Exactly. So she is in Madeira. She stays there for half a year. She comes back and immediately becomes ill again and is packed. And then. Because. 
it sounds like it sucks. Yep. And then she's packed off to Corfu and again gets better and then comes mm-hmm. back and ugh, I feel <laughs> I feel ill again. So it's pretty well assumed in the present day historians thing. It's probably psychosomatic and she just didn't she was just stressed out by being in court. Yeah, which, she just had to hang out with her mother-in-law. Yeah. Two years later, having not even visited her children for a whole year, she is diagnosed with dropsy, which oh, is... Yeah, edema, swelling. Yeah, swellings. And she goes to get a cure. And as soon as she returns to Vienna, it flares up again. Oh. So what a surprise. You shock me. Yeah. Uh, they should probably... <laughs> spot the pattern and stop taking her back to Vienna. <laughs> just let her live her life in Madeira. Madeira is lovely. Yeah. So at this point, this is 1862, Rudolf is four years old, Gisela is six years old. They barely know their mother and she's only 25. So yeah. Franz Josef is really keen to have another son to really make sure the succession is locked in. That will sure. become important later. But Sissy's like, ah, I no. I've got more more important things on my mind than yeah. shagging right yeah, now. She doesn't well, well shagging him. Yeah, she doesn't want him. She's to not go, really into. She doesn't want him to go anywhere near her. So she's she thinks pregnancy destroys beauty, and beauty is all she has in her mind. So oh no, yeah, she manages to convince her doctor that just to um, say that oh she's too ill to become safely pregnant ever again. Okay, and then she takes up these bizarre sort of beauty preservation. She has a sort of cult of beauty, bathing in warm milk, Uh really expensive shampoo brought from Turkey, spending hours Mm -hmm. a day having a hair brushed by someone else while she learns Greek or whatever. So she's into the hairbrushing now. (laughs) Yes. Oh, she likes it now. Yeah. Okay. Because now you get used to it. Yeah. Because before she was a child who wanted to go riding and now she's like, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty hot lady. I need to, keep this up so that, yeah. yeah sophie her mother-in-law insists that crown prince rudolf should have a military education like his father and that he's too weak and oh, not no. too much of a pansy while sissy because she's not really that strict she thinks oh no i don't think he should because he's already quite frail we don't want to like i don't want to abuse him blah 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 yeah. so there's a lot of tension there and ultimately Sophie kind of wins, but Elizabeth is really pissed off. She says to Franz Josef, basically, look, you're going to have to choose between your mother or me. Yep. If you want Rudolph to be like this, then we're basically over. I'm still going to be married to you because I can't divorce because we're Catholics, but I yep. don't want to have anything else to do with you. So there's there's trouble. This, I mean, that sounds like dangerous, like... Yeah. She has not had the, a lot of power in the court up until this time to be pulling automatons. She must have been pretty secure that he did really like her. He was absolutely smitten constantly. He was like, oh, wow. I'm married to My her. beautiful wife. And she's like, <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> And she's like, move on. That's kind of like what my stepdad and my mum were like when they first got together. And he was like, oh, my God, I'm married to Pat Southern. And my mum was like, all right, stop talking. (laughs) (laughs) And it was very, very funny for about 15 years. (laughs) They've kind of evened out now. But for the first like 10 years, he'd be like, my God, this is my live stream come true. He's going to listen to this and he'll be delighted. (laughs) (laughs) And my mum would be like, yes, and if you ever do anything that annoys me, then <laughs> then this is over. And yeah. you would go, okay. 
And it was adorable. Mm. So about three or four years after this ultimatum, Austria gets the shit kicked out of them in a war with Prussia. Okay. And the Prussian ascendancy, Bismarck and all that, they... Yes. This is the like, as Germany is becoming a thing. Exactly. Austria loses its status as the leading state of Germans. And Prussia mm-hmm. takes that sort of, it's not really a, a actual title, but that kind of yeah. the most powerful Status. German country. Yep. And Austria also loses a lot of territory claim in Italy. And the Hungarians, uh, not surprisingly, they've been under a military dictatorship for almost 20 years, are thinking they're a bit pissed off, a bit restive, mm-hmm. a bit... And, um, a bit not loving this military dictatorship. Exactly. So on the one hand, you have crushing military defeat, and on the mm-hmm. other hand, you have potential for Hungarian Revolution number two. Yeah, Habsburg Empire is teetering on the brink of complete collapse at this point. And Sissy, in the next year, 1867, now she's 30 years old, she decides maybe she would like another child after all. Uh, okay. So, Franz Josef... We're recovering. Yeah, exactly. Franz Josef had, had affairs with, for example, actresses, the kind of minor countesses, the kind of affairs that an emperor would have. Yeah, because why wouldn't you? But that's just getting his end away because he still really loves her more than anything else. And he's so happy that she's come back. And she yep. leverages this feeling of, oh my God, my wife has returned to me by persuading him to end the military dictatorship in Hungary. Damn. And restore Hungarian lands <laughs> to a sort of equal-ish status by creating the dual monarchy in the Austro-Hungarian compromise. <laughs> so they Good for her. So, so they would have the same head of state, the emperor, but the lands on the Viennese side of the river Leiter, which is called Cisleithania, would be yep. ruled from Vienna. And on the Hungarian side, which is Translithania, they would be ruled, ruled from Budapest by different parliaments, different prime ministers, different laws. So no one is super duper happy with this, but it keeps the empire together. The Hungarians are kind of like, well, it's kind of a step on the way to independence. Maybe the Austrians are like, what the fuck? (laughs) Yep. So the Austrian empire avoids collapsing yet. The Hungarians give the imperial family a lovely palace next to Budapest. Sissy moves in and she's like, Love it here. I'm going to spend the rest of my year here. Yep. But the Austrians start to feel a little bit as though their empress, who is now pregnant, has kind of abandoned them. And Because she likes the Hungarians she's, so much. She's such a Hungarian lover. And rumors begin to start swirling around that the child is not Franz Josef's. It is, in fact, <gasps> Julia Andrasch's. And that she might, if she had a male child, she might name it Stephen in honor of the patron saint of the Hungarians. My God. And the Austrians, they're like, why? There's nothing more angry than population that has had supremacy (laughs) for a certain amount of time having equality. (laughs) No one hates anything more than people who have been on top (laughs) not being on top anymore. Exactly. So in 1868, Archduchess Maria Valerie is born in Buda. And now Sissy is much older. She is much more in a position to defy her mother-in-law. And so she raises yep. Maria Valerie herself. Oh, she finally gets a baby. 
she is that she can hang out with all by herself. Exactly. And she is completely and openly her mother's favorite, which <laughs> is will cause a bit of tension with her siblings later. Again, you shock me. Yeah. At this point, the elder two are 10 and 12 years old, Rudolph and Gisela, and they are very close because they've been through all this stuff together as a pair. And yeah, so they, they're close. Not super yeah. happy with this whole Maria Valerie thing. Anyway. Okay, so this is like the the younger daughter who's come along is going to steal all of their... Exactly. Okay. So then in 1871, Baroness Mary Vetsera is born. She'll become very important later. And then the next year, Archduchess Sophie dies. The, right. the mother-in-law dies. This is the mother-in-law. Yeah. So She's finally gone. Exactly. So the raising of Rudolf and Gisela, who is now 16, so she's basically already gone from being raised anyway. But Rudolf is kind of left in the lurch a little bit because his mother doesn't really... I don't want to raise this teenage boy. <laughs> Who are you? Exactly. <laughs> then the next year, Franz Josef... It celebrates to 25 years of being emperor. Mm -hmm. And Archduchess Gisela is married to her second cousin, Prince Leopold of Bavaria. So that's Gisela gone. She's she's gonna be she's gonna be just fine. She's gonna be happy. Blah, blah, blah. She's finally out of Vienna as well. <laughs> exactly. She's in in the woods in Bavaria having a jolly old time. Exactly what her mother always wanted. Yeah. Yep. And then following that, Cece essentially adopts a nomadic lifestyle. Uh, okay. She is constantly traveling, never stopping, always going somewhere else, doing something else. She's very rarely in Vienna. She's basically estranged from her family. Even she takes Maria Valerie with her on these trips. But anyway. So it's just mother and daughter, house to house. Yeah. And never stopping like the littlest hobo. And hundreds of servants and stuff. But yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah. obviously. And also a retinue of a thousand people. Yeah. Yep. So the littlest hobo and his friend you of a thousand people. Yeah. So at this point, Rudolph has been abandoned or feels abandoned by his mother when he was a baby, and he feels abandoned once again when he's fourteen, and once again when he's fifteen. So he's been abandoned basically by his mother three times in his life. This will not oh. do wonders for his mental health. <laughs> no, I assume the fact that his mother was also not the yeah. most stable uh, doesn't help either. Yeah. How was his relationship with his father? Was it good? No. No. Because okay. his dad is strict and strong uh -huh. and, uh, and Rudolph is Made a, of facial hair. Exactly. And Rudolph is a wimp. Oh. And he's... He doesn't want to be an army boy. He wants to be a poet. And he's so easily won over by anybody showing him any affection at all. He's like... Ooh. Oh. Any, so, anyway. Oh. Yeah. Sissy is a big fan of poetry. She used to write poems. She wrote volumes of poetry in her lifetime. She was a, a super fan of Heinrich Heine, who was a famous Jewish poet, which again, problems. Yep. And so this is a stanza that she wrote. It basically sums up her psyche at this point. Earthy, like thine own seabirds, I'll circle without rest. For me, earth holds no corner to build a lasting nest. So Aww. she's like, oh, there's nowhere on earth I want to live. Just keep going. I am 35 and I no one loves me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she keeps wandering around. She visits England several times, France, Italy. She goes to North Africa, which is a bit unusual for an empress on her own this yeah. kind of time. France Joseph basically indulges all this because he still loves her so much. She can do what she likes as long as it makes her happy. So... <laughs> 
Yep. So skipping ahead. There's the one thing he goes soppy for. Oh, yeah, is, exactly. is her. Skipping ahead to 1879, they celebrate their silver wedding anniversary. She's 42. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. And he's 49, and they have a lovely parade. Ha ha. Uh, I'm going to assume this is a big old imperial, oh, yes. like multi day mm-hmm, affair. Mm-hmm, that's yep. right. They have a nice parade along the Ringstrasse. She comes back to Vienna for this and then goes away again, basically straight away. Forward ahead, another three years. Crown Prince Rudolf marries Princess Stephanie of Belgium. Uh-huh. They are so different. That uh-huh. they, so this isn't a love match. This is a very, very bad marriage. They, <laughs> oh, no. She is. He is like, oh, I'm so tender and soft. And she's like, Ugh. oh, dear. Okay. She's not right for him. He's not she's right like, for her. She's like, fuck up. Yes, very much so. <laughs> so the relationship's not good. The princess, Stephanie and, and Sissy don't get on at all either because she Sissy is so free spirited and she likes to do horseback riding and stuff and blah, blah, blah. And I'm Stephanie is more concerned. Move around from here to there. Stephanie is basically Elizabeth's sister, Helena. Again, okay. she's like a not well-trained lady. A well-trained lady, exactly. Rudolph, basically within a year of getting married, begins affairs with multiple women because mm-hmm. he's just so desperate to be loved. Okay, that he just can't help falling into bed with everybody. Exactly. Okay. Battered eyelids across the room, and he's like, "I'm, I'm in, <laughs> I'm in." So. Okay. A few years, and everybody wants to sleep with the heir apparent. Of course, because you know. That he'll give you gifts and things, and I mean, you will get gifts no. out of it. Yeah, he'll probably he'll maybe get you an apartment in mm-hmm. ne- near and to if the you palace. Have a baby, then... and, yeah. yeah. So, in eighteen eighty two, so the next year, Elizabeth comes back from hunting in England, and she's forty five now, and she's like, "Man, I can't ride horses like I used to." So she gives up riding and starts doing lots of long distance walking and fencing. So she's still really into fitness as a mm-hmm. as a thing. She's still taking these stupid milk baths and whatever. Of course. Of course. So later, uh, the next year, Princess Stephanie and Crown Prince Rudolph have their first child. Okay. Their only child. That surprises me. Yep. I get the feeling she was like a bit, we are doing our duty for England. Mm-hmm. Like, like from the nineteen eighty four, where he's like, make where's wife Winston's wife makes him do his duty every week. Yeah, and she lies back and thinks of England. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, get in here, give me an heir. Their first and only child, and it's a girl. Oh, wow. so oh. she's called Archduchess Elizabeth Marie. So she's named after her grandmother Elizabeth. She's nicknamed Erschi yep. because she's okay. born in Hungary. And that's Erschebet is the Hungarian way to say Elizabeth. So she's called Erschebet. Okay. Well, that doesn't sound like it's going to be popular. Yep. Mm, yeah. So soon after the child is born, Rudolf gets syphilis from one of his mistresses, Uh-oh. immediately passes it to Princess Stephanie, and she becomes infertile. Oh, no. Oh. So not only do you have Man, no male heir, a... you are not going to get one either. And now she has syphilis. She has syphilis. He has syphilis. She can't give birth to a male heir. Uh-oh. What a sucky life for Stephanie. Yeah. Like, I was raised to marry and be a good empress, and I've got stuck with this guy who's rubbish, Yeah. and now he's got me infertile and giving me syphilis. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, that poor woman. Yeah. So five years later, Elizabeth goes to Greece because she likes Greece. She likes everywhere that isn't Vienna, basically. <laughs> And decides to build a palace called the 
Kilion in Corfu, mm-hmm. which is still there now. Lovely. Yeah. So she's built herself a nice palace. She's going to stay there for a bit, just chill out in, in Corfu. I like that she has managed to kind of create what seems like a fairly great life. She's yeah. just like, just move from place to place and build a palace wherever I feel like it. Yeah. And she's basically like, fuck having any responsibilities. Yeah. Give me the money so I can do what I want. I had a son. I had, I've, I've done, I've my, done job. my bit. You can. I've got a. Yeah. yeah. Bye. <laughs> Unfortunately, things are about to go very, very wrong. Oh, no. The Baroness Merovitzera that I mentioned before has decided Prince Rudolf is, like, totally dreamy and finds a way to meet him. He is 30. She is not. She is 17. (laughs) Okay. And probably because of his uh, maternal abandonment, he's very easily won over by, like I said, he'll show him love and he's anybody's, right? So he completely fails to resist the advances of this teenager and they begin a sort of covert relationship. It's chaste at first, but it doesn't remain so. Okay. And I think the fact that he had syphilis would be off-putting enough, but apparently not. Well, she's... He is nonetheless still going to be emperor. Yeah. So at this point, he actually has quite a few other mistresses, including one who is known as the real love of his life, who is an actress by the name of Mitzi Kaspar. Great name. But because Mary is very young and very naive, she thinks... I am a credible threat to Princess Stephanie. Oh, he yes. He is going to leave her for me. Oh. He's not. Sorry. But he's definitely, he's never going to do that. No. Yep. At some point in 1888, Crown Prince Rudolph becomes more and more mentally ill in a kind of Vincent van Gogh kind of way. He's really not doing very well. and In the kind of like syphilis has got to my brain kind yeah, of way. No, no, one is, no one can help him because no one's going to say to the emperor... I think your son's losing it. <laughs> your son's gone weird, yeah. So he asks his true love, Mitzi Casper, to kill herself with him. Oh, oh Christ, okay. She says, uh, no thanks. <laughs> it's speculated that he was probably going to do it anyway, but he didn't want to be on his own. Yeah. So she says, uh, no, thank you. But she tries very hard to get in touch with the Imperial family to say... Ring the alarm bell, ding, 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 ding. This is, he's really not good, but the Viennese police are like, who the fuck are you? Yeah, why am I listening to an actress? Actress, yeah, so they ignore her. Oh, no. The next year, in early January, Merovitzera loses her virginity. She writes a a letter about it to her her sister, to to Crown Prince Rudolf. Okay. Later that month, this is all quite compressed because this is quite a, this is an incredibly important event. Like, more than any other. I mean, yeah, this sounds like a big deal. Like, Prince has tried to kill himself and take several of his actress mistresses with him. Yeah, so the the prince is going completely off the rails. Nobody really knows because they don't really give a shit about one another. So it's like, uh... So in, at the end of January, 29th of January, 1889, Franz Josef and Sissy gather the whole gang together for a dinner party in Vienna before they go off to visit Buddha. Mm-hmm. Rudolf says, I have a morning shooting planned, so I'm going to have to leave a little bit early. He goes to his hunting lodge at a place called Meierling, which is not that far mm-hmm. away, but it's a few hours on a horse. Oh, that's a name that rings a bell. <laughs> This is the Myling incident, is yes. it? Yes. The next day, uh-huh. the 30th of January, 1889, we have, I don't know, It's I, I think of it as kind of an inflection point, like 
if this had changed some, something would if something had been different so much down the line would have been different and so many things could have been avoided diverted whatever you have the myeling incident so prince rudolph's valet who's a guy called loshek and his hunting partner mm-hmm. is a guy called hoyos go to myeling in the morning knock on the door hello anybody home no answer so they force the door or they try and force the door doesn't work so loshek smashes the glass panel reaches through to mm-hmm. unlock the door and they pair find Crown Prince Rudolph sitting motionless at the side of the bed with blood around his mouth. Oh, no. And the body of Mary Vetsura is lying on the bed. Oh, no. So this is kind of like, oh, my God, this is the worst thing that could possibly ever happen. And the Crown Prince, I- they, at, the, at that time, they believed the Crown Prince shot Mary Vetsura and then shot himself. Oh, God. The words murder, suicide and other things that you would attach to the Imperial family. No, and... The coroner who investigated the body said that she'd been dead at least four hours before he killed himself. So he shot oh, Christ. He shot her and then sort of sat by her dead body for about four hours and then shot himself. And he's an adult and she's still a teenager? Yeah, she's still 17. He's still 30. Damn, that's a scandal. Yeah, so first things first, lock that site down. Mm-hmm. One guy goes to Vienna, everyone else, you are staying right here. You're not telling anyone because, oh my God. Right. So what happens next is kind of silly because imperial families. Yeah. They're always ridiculous. Rudolph's hunting partner, Hoyosh, visits the imperial adjutant general, tells him, requesting that he tell the emperor. The adjutant says, I think the only one who can tell the emperor is the Empress. So he summons the master <laughs> of the Empress's household, who's a guy called Baron Nopsha, who then summons the lady-in-waiting. And then the lady-in-waiting interrupts the Empress's Greek lesson, saying, uh, we've got some urgent news. The Empress says, oh, it has to wait. Come back later. And <laughs> she's like, no, really, you need to hear this. So the Empress is like, okay, what is it? And then Baron Nopsha comes in, breaks the news, and she is absolutely devastated she's weeping uncontrollably she's pulling her hair she's like ah which is a bit weird considering you know she wasn't that attached to him but then once she's had time to compose herself and you know fix her hair and stuff she goes to the emperor's apartments yep so that's like a seven people before the emperor yeah everybody knows basically before him if everybody's too scared to tell him yeah and so because the Habsburgs are Catholics and really devout Catholics, death by suicide, mm, that, that's a sin. It's, it's yeah. like the ultimate sin. And it would also mean that he would be ineligible for a burial on consecrated ground. Yes. You'd have to be buried outside of the chair. Exactly. So they begin this Uh-oh. sort of drastic, hasty cover up. So initially they get a doctor to say, oh, he died of an aneurysm, which... Okay, just he shot someone and then mysteriously died because murder is less bad than suicide. And the imperial authority says that actually Mary Vetsera wasn't there at all. She just died on the road somewhere. Uh, Oh, don't know. Um, And this is so dumb. They get her body in a carriage with her uncles and they prop it up with broomsticks to make it look like, oh, she was still alive when she left. And she is basically... They dig a big hole, throw her in, common grave. She's a suicide. Who gives a shit? She's just a countess. So so now she, this poor girl has been marked off as a suicide and he died of a mysterious and unknown aneurysm at a similar but unrelated time. Exactly. <laughs> okay. However. Very good storytelling. Because this is the late 
19th century and such thing as the telegraph exists. Yeah. Foreign correspondents have kind of picked up on this and they're kind of, oh, we should probably get out there and have a look. So they kind of quickly uncover that Rudolph's mistress was implicated in his death and the imperial family decides, ah, you know, I don't think this is going to, I don't think this is going to stick, you know? Mm-hmm. Because also we told like 35 people before we told the emperor yeah. what had really happened. <laughs> so the, the coroner who said, oh, this is an aneurysm, changes his verdict to, oh yeah, he shot Vetsera, sat beside the body mm-hmm. for several hours and then shot himself. So it's a, it's a dramatic it's, term. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, it wasn't an aneurysm. Actually, it was quite a convoluted, different thing. Hands up. Yep. You got us. You got us. I've I've relooked at the papers, yeah. <laughs> and I see where I misread the word aneurysm <laughs> instead of su- murder suicide. Yeah. Yep. And what a fool I was. <laughs> it was. It's been. It was alleged by sources in the palace, like anonymous sources, that Rudolf and his father had had like a blazing row. The emperor okay. said, "You will knock it off with this teenager." And he was like, no, dad, I want to have this teenager as my mistress. And it's like, you cannot. So they're like, fine. And then they sort of like have this big argy-bargy. Yep. However, it's possible that this story was created by Otto von Bismarck. Because Rudolf was a woolly liberal and Bismarck (laughs) thought he was a wuss. So he wanted to make him seem like a sort of spoiled pansy child. Like a wee boy. Yeah. Like throwing his, yeah. Exactly. Queen Victoria uh, has a daughter, also called Victoria. She is... She's married into, married into this family. No, it's a different one. She's there with okay. the Brandenburg. So she's, she's in Prussia. She's, yeah, okay. And she writes, I have heard different things about poor Rudolf, which may interest you. Prince Bismarck told me that violent scenes and altercations between the emperor and Rudolf had been the cause of Rudolf's suicide. I replied that I heard this much doubted, upon which he said that Royce had written it was so. For 30 years, I have had experience of how many lies Prince Bismarck's diplomatic agents have written him, and therefore, I usually disbelieve what they write completely. The ambassador of Berlin, who we know very well, tells me that there were no such scenes between the emperor and the prince. The emperor said to the ambassador, this is the first vexation my son has caused me. So killing himself and his teenager is the first time they okay. ever had any problems, which... Yeah, but in, okay, yeah. Go home or go hard, no, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good right up until the fact that he murdered a teenager. Yeah, and the general, Lur heard from Austrian sources that the catastrophe was not premeditated, but that the young lady had destroyed herself. And seeing this, Rudolf thought there was nothing else left to him and that he killed himself with a hunting rifle, which he stood on the ground and then trod upon the trigger. Yep. Lur considers this, as I do, poor Rudolf's death, thus a terrible misfortune. So that's Queen Victoria's daughter. So Queen Victoria thought it was just... Oh, Queen Victoria's daughter thought that yeah. it was an accident. She wrote that to her mother, like a letter to mum hey, about the, the news of this, what's going on. They think that Meravet Sarah did something rash and that, mm-hmm. and that Rudolph was so distraught that he then also did something the rash. Heat. And he therefore <laughs> okay. he was not a murderer. He was just... Uh, just a suicide. Yeah. Okay. The emperor was able to lean on the Catholic Church and convince them that the crown prince had suffered a temporary mental imbalance and therefore mm-hmm. they were allowed to bury Rudolf in the imperial crypt. I mean, okay. this is obviously horseshit because he'd already asked a woman to kill herself with him. Literally a year previously. Yeah, so it's, it, it, he'd obviously been planning it for a while. 
also the syphilis um, do you yeah, feel like yeah. we need to keep reminding ourselves of this mm-hmm. which does send you yeah, balmy. yeah and the mercury pills to get rid of it oof bad don't help yeah, yeah. <laughs> he'd written a suicide note and he requested that he would be buried alongside mary vet sarah but i mean the, right. the idea of a, a married crown prince lying next to a woman that is not his wife and is just a baroness that- mm-mm that he murdered, yeah. He murdered, and she's Jewish. She's <laughs> Jewish as well. It's ooh, it's not going to go. It's not going to go. In Austria, yeah. So Mary Vetsera is still buried in like a, a hole in the ground somewhere. A poor woman. Where Rudolph gets the full whack imperial funeral. Oh my God, this is the biggest tragedy that has ever happened. But the, it causes a real succession problem because as you remember... This is the only one. He was the only boy. So the line of succession is interrupted and passes from Franz Josef to his younger brother, Karl Ludwig, who immediately mm-hmm. says, uh, no, thanks. <laughs> this looks rubbish. No, no I'm, I'm not into it. So that goes to his son, Karl Ludwig's son, Franz Ferdinand. Ah, the Franz Ferdinand. The Franz Ferdinand. Of uh, early 2000s. And fame, yeah. <laughs> so that's Rudolph's cousin is now the heir to the throne. Okay. Rudolph's death also causes a huge setback in the reconciliation between Austrian and Hungarian factions in the empire because Rudolph was seen as being, uh, like his mother, a champion of the Hungarians. Mm-hmm. There was this idea floating around that the empire would be sort of transformed into a sort of federation of states. Okay. So each state autonomous completely. The Hungarians deal with their stuff. The Austrians deal with their stuff. They have the same emperor, but nothing else in common. Okay. Which would have made most people happy. It would have made the Serbs happy. You yep. recall the Serbs might have uh, something coming down the line. They do have something coming up. Yeah. yeah. So it's generally agreed that Rudolf was a wuss. Yeah. In that sense that he was unable to stand up to his, either his father or his mother or his grandmother or his wife. So he was kind of like put upon by absolutely everybody. Yeah. And he was unable to control his romantic impulses as well. So he probably would not have been a very good ruler in any case. So it's probably best that he did not become emperor. Well. Mm. I suppose it's what this is the like question of like, the what if like what exactly. if he had survived if he had survived it doesn't sound like he could have been necessarily trusted given that he did a murder suicide to That's be the-, the world's greatest <laughs> leader of men interesting like aside mary vetsera's letters disappeared that she'd written of course uh, but they turned up in a safety deposit box in 1926 Oh my god they didn't burn no, them they just, they just put them in a bank somewhere and were like incredible Ugh. and she writes uh, a letter to her mother saying, Dear mother, please forgive me for what I have done. I could not resist love. In accordance with him, mm. I want to be buried next to him at the cemetery of Alland. I am happier in death than in life. And okay. Rudolph wrote to his wife, Dear Stephanie, you are now rid of my presence and annoyance. Be happy in your own way. Take care of the poor wee one, for she is all that remains of me. To all my acquaintances, I say my last greetings and go quietly to my death, which alone can save my good name. You're loving Rudolph. I mean, it did not help his good name, but okay. <laughs> so, uh, she said, Mother, I'm so in love with him. And he's written to his wife saying, you're finally rid of me. I hope you're happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So You've always said that you wanted me gone and now. Yeah. So uh, you'll, you'll be sorry. Uh, so. Yeah. But there are 
continuing doubts right right up until the present day as to whether all this shook out as it is said to have shook out. Uh -huh. In the 1950s, Red Army soldiers were stationed around Austria. They broke into the tomb of Meriwet Sirrah, mm -hmm. hoping to find some loot. In, yep, yeah, so They're sure. like, oh, this is Meriwet Sirrah. Okay. Oh, whatever. Bye. That's famous. Maybe it will. Yeah. Yep. And in 1959, a doctor, because this is after the empire. The empire is done now. So who cares? It's not like you're going to get beheaded or whatever for this sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. They've got no real. Yeah. like. So a doctor, a local doctor, <laughs> basically steals her body and, uh -huh. and does a forensic examination on it and says, uh -huh. there's no bullet hole here. Oh, okay. So he subsequently advances a theory that Mary Vetsera died as a result of a botched abortion. Oh, and okay. Rudolf sure. then shot himself after he'd seen that, oh, she died as a result of a botched abortion. However... Uh, there is... Okay. She wrote a letter to her sister two weeks before she died saying that she'd lost her virginity to him. It's unlikely that she would have possibly ever known that she was pregnant at that time so not a two weeks, not a two weeks no. so this is one of those things that a certain type of man loves to do and a particularly certain type of historian they just love to be like yeah. i made up a story in my head yeah. about how a woman is bad uh, <laughs> <laughs> and i have advanced it based on the fact that she, there's no bullet hole i have decided therefore like there's this whole bit in my most recent book, because in the footnotes of a translation mm. of Pliny the Elder, one of the translators absolutely goes off on a theory that one of the queens was uh, having sex with other people and was having an affair and she was trying to hide it from her husband. You're like, where are you getting this <laughs> from? Because like, <laughs> the entire sentence is about somebody else doing nothing and you're, you've imagined like a horrible <laughs> woman who is constantly sleeping around and berating her husband yeah. and pasted it onto a sentence about somebody else. And why have you put this in a footnote? <laughs> why did this footnote survive? What's going on? <laughs> uh, but men just love to imagine women that they hate they and then tell people about them mm -hmm. so then she was buried again and she is now buried where she wanted to be buried instead of just being good for her in a hole i'm glad i'm glad so it's like based on the letters is it that they both took their own lives like it was suicide on both accounts rather than a murder suicide or that he talked her into it or well you see it's, it's possible that she does nobody know she thought like oh this is the most romantic thing that has ever happened to anyone yeah. in the whole history of the world and he was just the kind of thing that 17 year olds and say he was yeah. just like i don't want to die on my own <laughs> so, i am a uh, bit pathetic it's, it's yeah. possible that she was like proto-goth and she was yeah. like yeah i'm really into this and he was like you, anyone will do but you you're here so whatever he really wanted the other okay. one he really wanted to die with Maisie casper but she was like uh no she was absolutely fripping not yeah. only a teenager would be talked into this uh, yeah. okay but there are other theories the empress zita the final empress of austria she thought that rudolf was killed by the french uh -huh. just assassins to weaken the austrians which, I mean, uh -huh. it would work, but they would have had to cover it up pretty well because, like... They've really covered that up it's well. A, it's yeah. a proper closed-room mystery because there's a, they're in a locked cabin. There's yeah. no one else there. Maybe they did it by giving him syphilis and then convincing him <laughs> of this. Yeah. A very long-term, low-key conspiracy. Mm -hmm. So after Rudolph has died, Sissy goes back to being super nomadic. She's all over the place all the time, never stopping. She wears morning black all the time when she's in public. Mm -hmm. 
So she's she's going around doing her thing. Franz Josef is absolutely like he's basically on his own now and mm-hmm. he's getting on and he's like this woman that he still loves so much. As ba- he just comes through every so often. He comes often. through every so often and she, he's like, oh, where is she now? Oh, well, I'll send her some money. I hope she comes back one day. Uh-huh. So, nine, so nine years pass in this state of sort of malaise. And then yeah. Sissy and her entourage are in Geneva, undercover, not undercover, incognito. Okay, yep. But one of the staff of the hotel where they're staying, Beau Rivage, figures it out and like, that's the Empress of Austria. And the news finds its way into the paper. Sissy and her lady-in-waiting are just sort of chilling out in Geneva. They go to board a steamship to Montreux. Mm-hmm. She doesn't really like the whole fancy procession retinue deal. So they're kind of, she's just her and her lady waiting, just walking to the, to the boat by themselves. Okay. And as they walk along the boat, there's a, an Italian anarchist by the name of Luigi Lucchini. He mm-hmm. approaches them and using the ship's bell ringing as cover, he sort of stumbles and bumps into Sissy. But as he does so, he stabs her through the chest with <gasps> a 10 centimeter long needle file. Oh, shit. Which pierces her heart. Uh-huh. Uh, but because she's wearing such tight corsetry, <laughs> nobody knows. It's like a tourniquet. Yeah. Okay. So she was able to walk away from the scene. She's like, oh, that man bumped into me. They bought. Oh, shit. She doesn't even know she's been stabbed. No, she's just like, oh, ow. Whoa. They board the boat and she then like collapses a few times in quick succession. She's like, oh. And then she gets up and she's like, oh. And then she gets up again. She's like, oh. The boat is pulled out of the harbor at this point. Mm. This is what's called a cardiac tamponade, which is where uh-huh. blood leaks out of the heart into the area around the heart and crushes it. Oh, Jesus. So she's, this is not a nice way to die. That's horrible. Yeah. So after lying her down on the bench, on the deck of the boat, because they're, like, they're still in the harbour, but, they're, yeah. but they're, they're on their way. The Countess, her lady-in-waiting, cuts open her corsets to help her breathe and notices, oh, there's a, there's a brown stain on her chest. <gasps> she is returned to the hotel where she was staying and is pronounced dead uh, short, wow. shortly thereafter. So that's quite an assassination. The assassin was an anarchist. As I said, he was a believer in the propaganda of the deed. So he uh-huh. believed that like, by killing a noble, any noble, he didn't care. He, he was, didn't, it wasn't specific to he, her. He, he only learned she was there from the newspaper that morning. He was actually after someone else, but then he was like, oh, this is a much bigger fish. I'm going to go for this one. Uh, yeah. And he believed that by killing one of the nobility, he would inspire others to rise up and overthrow the nobility. Wow. So it's kind of the worst coincidence of all time, as far as Sissy is concerned. Yeah. So she's 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 dead. The news of the Empress's death, as announced to Franz Josef, he thought, oh, my God. Did she die of suicide? I really hope not. But then yeah. when it's they're like, oh, no, she was assassinated. He's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah. But he was absolutely shattered. This was like, this basically broke him. He, he, said, he said to his equerry that a man could be found to attack such a woman whose whole life was spent doing good and who never injured anyone is incomprehensible. 
and except all their children he, but sure and, and he said to his relatives you will never know how much i love this woman oh so moving on Aww. a little bit we're leading up to the first world war now he's he's 84 yeah. he's 84 he's pretty much checked out he's battered by the life of, that he's had all the tragedies that affect his family and two years into the war he dies oh leaving his empire in the hands of grand nephew carl which is franz Ferdinand. No, uh, Franz Ferdinand's okay. brother, I think. Okay. And the irony here is that Franz Ferdinand is killed in Serbia by a Serbian nationalist, but Franz Ferdinand was a really great advocate of the Slavs. And yes. he was really into this idea that we will have this federated Austrian Empire, autonomous nations under one big umbrella. And it's like a series of tragedies that sort of railroad everything to this terrible conclusion because if Franz Josef had died maybe five years earlier and been succeeded by Franz Ferdinand, by Franz Ferdinand or even Rudolf World War One might have been avoided uh, the, emp- yeah. the empire might have been peacefully sort of dissolved into a sort of loose federation sort of like the EU and yeah Although you get the feeling with World War One that everybody just really wanted one, like yeah, true, they, they, they probably would have had a lot. They were just kind of waiting for a reason. Yeah, everybody was kind of antsy with one another, mm-hmm. and a lot of like little things were going on, and everybody had made pacts with one another, That's true, and yeah. they had all of this war stuff that they weren't getting to use on anybody anymore. It's, um, it's true, and they really wanted to know what tanks did mm-hmm. to the human body. Yeah, so you kind of get the feeling that if it was good, like. Everything was so mm-hmm. kind of dry and brittle yeah. that it happened to be Franz Ferdinand that kicked everything off, but it could have been. That's true. If it hadn't been that, it probably would have been something else. Yeah. And as a result of losing the First World War, Austria is massively reduced. Basically, mm-hmm. all the countries that wanted to be free of Austria became free of Austria completely all at once. So loss of tons of territory, the entirety yeah. of Hungary, all of the seacoast along Trieste, which goes to Italy as as a prize for their being part of the Allies in World War One, and mm-hmm. all that sort of thing. So Austria is massively shrunk down to this state, which becomes they're hit by like famine, yeah, yeah and exactly, mass inflation, and all yeah. the stuff that. Yeah, I remember from um, Stefan Zweig's mm, autobiography. Yeah. yeah, has a big bit about mm-hmm. Austria and Vienna specifically yeah, yeah. is where he was living between the wars. Yeah. Yeah. But in the, the Austria becomes a republic pretty much as soon as the war is over. They are like Emperor Karl, you're just Karl Habsburg. You can either <laughs> deal with it or you can fuck off. So they fuck off. Yeah, go to Germany. They I fuck think. Off. Yes, and now the heir apparent is a race car driver. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I found this out yesterday <laughs> from Connor, which is that the he's like a, a racing driver. Yeah. I think his name is Ferdinand. Should be. Uh, yeah, he is an uh, Austrian racing driver. Uh-huh. Hmm. Which is interesting because he almost certainly was not born in Austria. Because <laughs> I probably the not, Habsburgs no, are but... banned from entering Austria unless they, <gasps> wow. unless they say, you know, I am just Bob Habsburg. I am not... Bob Habsburg, okay. Archduke of blah de blah. So, so he would have to give up. Yeah, he has a, an enormously long name. So um, he probably didn't give up. He <laughs> doesn't give up any of his names. After the First World War, the Republic kind of goes no aristocrats no longer. So, yeah. They, okay, so they get rid of the whole they situation. Get rid of all the aristocracy. Ban every aristocratic thing. If you are 
Count Esterhazy, you are now just Fred Esterhazy. Um, okay. They get rid of Von. You can't be a Von anymore because that's yep. a nobiliary particle. So I, I will tell you right now that Ferdinand Habsburg still has a Von. So <laughs> he's well, not going to go. Austria anytime soon. So the sound, the sound of music is wrong. Oh, it, he was not Georg von Trapp. He was Georg Trapp. <laughs> that does not sound anywhere near as good, it though. Does that sound sounds as ridiculous. Fancy, no. Georg Trapp, <laughs> the Trapp family singers. Yeah, now Austria is a very small country that used to be one of the great powers of Europe. Yeah. And yeah, after the empire, there was a huge, especially in Vienna, there was a huge upswell of socialism. So in, in the period between the wars, there was something called Red Vienna, which, yes. which is one of the sort of crowning achievements of Vienna. There's this huge social programs. They say like every... Uh, Shilling we spend on kindergartens, we will save on prisons, uh, that sort of thing. Yes. There, there is a book that just came out by Richard Cockett mm. about that called Vienna, the city of ideas that created the modern That's, world or something yeah, yeah. like that. It has a very, <laughs> very cool cover. And so this is the story that Austrians like love the yes. most and are constantly making TV shows about. Because mm-hmm. the re- the first I heard of this was because when you first moved there mm-hmm. and were talking about how they watched this film yeah. Little Christmas every year. Yeah. Um, and like that is the thing that Austrians do. Yeah. Is, what, is it Sissy the film? There are, yes, there are three films from the 1950s called uh, uh-huh. Sissy, uh, Sissy... Uh, they're all they're all called Sissy something or other. Um, and okay. <laughs> they have Romy Schneider. It plays uh, Sissy. She went on to be yep. somewhat famous. But they're these like beautiful Technicolor films, incredible sets, all this sort of like detail and stuff that you wouldn't get in a historical film now. I don't think. It, it, yeah. It, because everything is so lush and beautiful, and. They're quite long, but they're quite good. I like it. My wife is quite surprised that I like it because it's <laughs> it's like very chintzy and kitsch, but I, I think they're pretty good. And they sort of propelled the sort of sissy story around everywhere. And now the tourists come here to see her apartments, all that stuff. Yeah. You have people from Japan come over and dress as sissy for their weddings and things like that. And it's like, okay. Because she has this very famous portrait of her where she's got these hair clips that are like diamond hair clips and they're like in the shape of stars. And that they're they're like down her hair on the back. And oh, yeah, one thing I forgot to say about her hair, right, is that her hair was so long that it went down to the floor and trailed behind her quite a bit. And... Okay, now I understand the brushing your hair for two hours situation. <laughs> and it was so heavy. That's just how long it took. Yeah. Okay. And it was so heavy that it gave her migraines. Wow. So that's dedication to the bit, right? It's like your hair is, that is dedication. so long and so heavy that oh my you God. suffer headaches because... I've just grown my hair back to a bob yeah. and therefore it comes to my chin mm. and this is the longest my hair has been in a very long time yeah. and I'm already irritated <laughs> at how much like hair I find in the shower. Yeah. The idea of having hair that is longer than me yeah. like she must have been like a labrador just like <laughs> leaving her behind her wherever she went there is a famous famous ish portrait of her where she is has her hair down and she's got it in her arms like bunches of arms and that was on franz joseph's desk that he looked at it every Aww, day that's very creepy but okay <laughs> well, i mean it's a picture of your wife i guess it's okay it's okay it to go oh she's so handsome she's so lovely she's so, she's got such lovely hair yeah 
And she takes I mean, such good care of herself that she never sees the children. Because she's brushing her hair all the time. But now this makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I am now looking at this picture of her cradling her hair and it is... Yeah. It's a lovely picture, actually. Yeah, yeah. no, fair. Take that back. I would put that on my desk. <laughs> but it's, it's a lot of hair, but she does look like a babe mm-hmm. in it. So, But she, she made use of the time while while, while she was getting a hairbrush. She was learning she was, great. Yeah, she was yeah. having lessons in all sorts of things and, you know, just generally... You know, I'd say she was quite enlightened. She was very into like educating herself and reading poetry and learning new languages and stuff and oh well there we go go. thank you for coming and telling us and and finally breaking your five-year silence (laughs) (laughs) no longer the silent partner of history is sexy you are now officially the austria correspondent and next time we get a question about austria you're gonna have to come and answer it again i will have a plaque made for myself the austria correspondent yeah you can put it on your yeah. desk, yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right. Next time, we have some more special guests, and I'm going to be talking to Graham and Ali from Rex Factor Podcast because mm. Janina is still writing. So we're going to be talking about Anne Boleyn and how much of a queen Anne Boleyn was, whether she was badass Ooh. or not. Yeah, basically, what's the deal with Anne Boleyn? Do we like her or not? Mm. So that would be fun, I think. And also... I get other people telling me stories, which I like because uh-huh, okay. <laughs> I don't, I get to lie back and listen to other people tell me about their pages of notes instead of me having to try to remember where I am in my pages of notes. And if anybody else has a question that they would like us to answer, um, potentially about Red Vienna, but about anything in the world generally, then you can find everything and all of the notes. And I will put links to the Netflixes of the mm-hmm. films about Elizabeth, uh, Cece. I should say there is a musical about the the life of Elizabeth and it is the most popular musical in the German language by far. <laughs> it, and if you <laughs> want to look it up on YouTube, it is oh, it's just it's fantastic. <laughs> okay, so you can watch a musical about her. I will put some pictures of her as well because to be fair, you see what I mean? The, the, she they, is very lovable. I just love her so much. She's she's like she's like a, a, a god. She's like Princess Diana yeah. if she was also like a mythical figure. If she had been around for much much longer, yeah. fabulous. <laughs> but yeah, historyofsexy.com. You can find everything there and their Instagram and all the other bits and bobs and merch and the like. And is there anything I've forgotten to say, Oliver? No, I don't think so. Okay, yeah. Until next time, thank you for coming on, Oliver. Thank and you for having me. We will talk about Anthony. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.